Love Talk Radio. I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Welcome to Finsider Radio. My name's Keith. I'll be your host until 10.30 p.m. Eastern. We're doing a special night and time uh, this week. I hope everyone's okay with that. Tonight, we have the specialist of special shows. This is our draft follow-up podcast. I was at Roosevelt University in downtown Chicago for the draft on Thursday. <clears throat> It was a zoo. I can confirm that. Uh, later in the program, I'll give a full account of my experience on draft night. Some funny stories, some not so funny stories. I thought it was going to be an easy night of coverage. It turned into a full-on media rampage, as most, if not all of you know. It was really fun to be a part of, though. I no regrets. I wouldn't change anything. At 9.45 p.m. Eastern, we'll visit with Michael Borky of Red Cup Rebellion, SB Nation's old oldness Rebels blog. He'll stop and talk with us about new Miami Dolphin Laramie Tunsil. You might have heard about him. And what the team and its fans can expect from the all-world tackle prospect. That's been a point of debate uh, the past couple of days. At 10.15 p.m. Eastern, Brent Taylor of SB Nation's Roll Bama Roll will check in to talk about another recent addition to the Dolphins, Alabama running back Kenyon Drake. Uh, Ron will join me momentarily. I'm sure cannot wait for that segment as he's big into Alabama football. So, uh, as always, we'll take your calls. If ever there were a night where Dolphins fans should call us here in the studio, it is tonight. We want to know what you think about the Dolphins 2016 draft. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Are you an Omar Kelly fan and simply have no opinion of your own? Whatever the case, preferably not the last scenario. Uh, Call us here at 347-326-9461. We'll bring you on the air, and you can let it rip. Uh, just tell us what you're thinking. I know everyone's got an opinion going on right now about what the Dolphins did Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, the the big uh, the big splash going on with Laramie Tunsil falling to number 13. Nobody saw that coming. Uh, the trade up early Friday night to get Xavier Howard. Uh, apparently, the uh, the cornerback prospect Vance Joseph uh, so coveted, and then um, just uh, I know some people had a, an issue with. Um, Kenyon Drake, uh, considering the fact that some of the other running backs actually fell to day three and beyond. Um, so we'll go ahead. We'll bring in those guys later in the show. We'll get their their thoughts, see uh, what's going on. Um, still waiting. I think Ron's actually having a little bit of uh, some difficulty getting into the show. I don't think he received the, um, the invite to it in time. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, just sort of vamp just because I need that um, that duo, that comic relief sort of uh, tandem going on. I think Lewis is interesting his show, too. He'll be on. Um, big contributor of mine, good friend, chief contributor, Lewis Song. Uh, our other contributor, Max Himmelrich, will call in around, I think he said 9.15, 9.20 Eastern time. I asked Matthew Kanata to stop in at some point. Uh, we'll see if he's available. I know he's got a lot going on tonight. One way or another, it is going to be a wild show, I can assure you. It's just uh, something that's going to start a little bit later than we, uh, than we all anticipated. So while, while we're waiting for some of these guys to come in, uh, I'll go ahead. I'll just sort of relay uh, my whole draft day experience. I know I was, if you follow me on Twitter, 
which is Keith, K-E-E-F-D-O-L-F-A-N, um, Keith Dolphin, if you will. Um, I My whole day got started um, last month. Um, it was the day after my birthday, actually. <clears throat> I got a message from Kevin Nogle, uh, the, the guy who runs the Defense Insider site, uh, saying that uh, he had good news for me and that he was sending me to the NFL draft. And I was immediately stoked about it. I mean, we've all grown up watching the drafts. We, you know, used to seeing it at Radio City Music Hall and then last year in Chicago. So I was stoked about it, but then immediately I started to think, you know, I mean, this sounds like a lot of pressure too. I mean, I've, I've talked about this before on the show and I'll have a column on this coming up in the next few days. I just haven't had time to write it yet. Um, it's something where um, I'm not a natural writer. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not a reporter, I should say. And I've become a yeah, halfway decent on-air personality, depending on how drunk you are. So, I mean, that depends. So, Ron, are you there? I, I'm here by phone for, for the moment until I can switch over to a direct connect. So, sounds uh, fine to me. I was just kind of holding things up until you were able to show up. I want to go ahead and introduce... Uh, part of my panel, my co-host, Unsquish the Fishes, Ron Caniff. Uh, what's going on? Hey, man, nothing. Just uh, trying to make, uh, you know, electronics work, and they're not cooperating very well with me tonight. Yeah, I had that kind of day yesterday where I, I decided that technology and civilization as a whole pretty much hated me. So, but I survived. So, I, we'll get your thoughts starting up. What did you think? I mean, we'll just start with draft night. What did you think about, you know, the big, the big situation, literally and figuratively, that landed in the Dolphins' laps, lap, I should say, at number thirteen overall? What did you think just watching it going through? Because I know you were hosting Lewis's show on Thursday, but what, what's your take on everything that went down that night? Well, as it, as it started to go down the board, as you, as you started to get past, especially once he got, once Tunsil got past Baltimore, and, and once it got to Baltimore, and and I saw Baltimore making the pick, I, I said to the guys there to chat, and there was uh, somebody else with us there, uh, Doug, I believe that I have this feeling, I don't know why, I have this feeling Baltimore is going to take Stanley. Everybody's like, no, this has got to be Tunsil, and I'm, you know, it seems like the logical pick. I just had a feeling it was going to be it was going to be uh, Stanley, and that Tunzel was maybe going to start to free fall. My question always is, and I don't know how NFL teams do this. I'd love to hear from a, a GM sometime. When you're picking lower down, when your pick is the 13th, the 15th, the 20th, how much work are you doing on these high top guys, the Ramseys, the Tunzels, the the Boses? How are you doing a lot of work on them so that if they did somehow, some way, fell in your lap, either through a trade that you can't say no to, or or it just guy free falls like Tunzel did, how comfortable are you going to be with that pick based off what work you've put into scouting him, interviewing him, talking to him, searching his background, all that? So that's what I start to wonder, and I start to think maybe it gets that way when you start to get eight, nine, ten, especially with the Giants that to me just made like a panic pick, you know, 11, 12. These guys aren't comfortable with them. Maybe they haven't done big-time work on them. So kudos to the Dolphins for either just having some gumption and taking a shot or doing the work and, you know, taking a risk with the character thing in the video because the Baltimore Ravens came out and said, when we saw that video before the draft, we took him off our board. 
And uh, the Dolphins take a shot for a guy that has some really good talent at a position that I've been saying now on the show, this show, and others that we really did need, honestly, because Albert's hurt all the time, and he'll be gone in a year or two. So um, I'm I'm happy the way it worked out, and I think the Dolphins really got a steal. I thought Laramie Tunsil was hands down the best talent in the draft. Just, I mean, pound for pound, uh, you could put him in most any tackle class through the years, and he's probably the best guy there. You know, I think he's the best offensive tackle I've seen since Tyron Smith. I was higher on Tyron Smith than uh, some others, mainly because he's a USC guy, and we know the the stigma that goes with USC offensive linemen, especially USC quarterbacks, receivers, the whole lot. But, I mean, you put you put Laramie Tunsil in any draft year where you don't have a, an Orlando Pace you know, yeah, um, some ridiculous talent. I think that, I mean, the guy is, I thought he was the best player available in this draft. Um, I'm a little bit, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but I'm I'm kind of not. I'm taken aback that the Baltimore Ravens suddenly took this holier-than-thou stance with Laramie Tunsil and the fact that he had, like, um, that bonk gas mask that looked like something out of the movie, Blue, you know, Blue Velvet, the the thing that Dennis Hopper was smoking nitrous out of or huffing nitrous, that thing. I mean, like he had that video going on and yeah, I I get it. It's a bad look. Um, I was at the draft. So I'm at the draft Thursday night. And I mean, something that you don't really realize until you're there is you don't have the running commentary of a television going on while you're watching this thing. I mean, you don't have Mel Kuyper or Mike Mayock or any of those guys chiming in and, and serving as the sort of uh, verbal soundtrack to uh, what you're watching. But um, SB Nation sent one other guy there, and his name is Alex Reno. And I, I ended up meeting him, made friends with him. We hung out. I've got some good stories about this I'll share later on. Uh, he's with um, Pride of Detroit. So it, it's through, it, you know, what luck that SB Nation sends two football bloggers there, and one of them is a Dolphins guy. You know, because, I mean, it turned yeah. into the biggest – it was the biggest sports story of the night, really, of the weekend. So, um, he uh, he had his tweet deck going on, and this is probably about 15 minutes before the – 10, 15 minutes before the draft. And I look over, and I see that, that video is starting up, you know, with the gas mask. I have no idea who it is. And then the gas mask comes off, and I'm like, is that Laramie Tunsil? And then he was like, yeah. And I asked him, I was like, how old is that video? Like, when did that post? And he was like, um, three minutes ago. And, uh, like, at first we just were thinking, like, what is this guy doing? You know, like, we had no context, so we just figured that he did it himself. And we're just – so, I mean, I didn't have much of a pro- – I mean, yeah, he's smoking weed through uh, through the – um that sort of uh, um, aqua lung almost looking mask. And then, um, so the, my original point on this though, is Baltimore takes like this holier than thou stance where we took him off of our board. As soon as we saw that video, you had Ray Lewis on your team and you stuck with him when Mm -hmm. he was, you know, he was what, you know, pretty much, uh, considered an accessory to, to what happened in Atlanta. You had, um, you stuck by Ray Rice. And your fans stuck by Ray Rice after that video came out. Yeah. And until they were absolutely forced to part ways with him, and you knew they didn't want to. But all of a sudden, 
you've got the Aqualung mask out there, and the guy's smoking weed through it, and he's hard, it looks like he's on his couch. And I mean, and uh, suddenly that's like a, an unforgivable offense. And yeah, he's dead. You just took the best prospect in the draft off your board because of something like that. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like Ronnie Stanley. He was probably a top three prospect for me in this draft. Loved him. I think Baltimore got a really, really good player. I think Miami got a better player. So, I mean, yeah. it's funny how that works. So, um, we'll go to the phones. We've got a little bit of downtime. i got to keep these calls quick just because we got Max coming in, and then it's going to start getting heavy a little bit here. So, we'll go to the phones. Uh, caller, what's going on? Nothing much. Oh, yeah, uh, we've got a, a minute or two. So, yeah, um, what, were your, what were your thoughts on uh, the Tunsil thing, on just him falling to Miami? I think we lucked out. You know, it's really, really hard to not envision a Dan Marino situation where people are going to assume that we did it so that we could get the guy we wanted. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty outrageous. I, ne- I mean, it's funny because, like I said, I went there, wasn't expecting – I figured I'd have to fight it out with a couple of journalists or reporters or whatever – to get in there and, and talk to the Dolphins guy. But when the Saints were on the clock, and I knew the Saints were gonna were not going to take Laramie Tunsil, so as, as their pick was winding down, and I realized that the Dolphins were absolutely, had, absolutely had this ball in their court, and I knew they were going to take him. And I was all for it. But when that happened, I was like, this just became a huge sports story, and now I'm going to have to crawl over people to get near this guy. So, I mean, this is, um, as soon we're going to go ahead and um, bring on a couple people momentarily. So when that happens, uh, Chris, I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, I'll, I'll, see, I'll leave you on the show. I'll set you aside. But um, so pretty much what happens is they make the pick. And I realize that I've got to get to the the press conference room because usually what happens, and you'll hear this throughout the draft, but about a half hour to 45 minutes after a player is taken is when um, that you'll hear over the, the PA, they say the, the press conference or the, the media presser for that guy is in five minutes. And uh-huh. I mean, a couple of, a couple of players weren't there. Leonard Floyd wasn't there. So they were able to skip over him. And then Laramie Tunsil's came, I felt came up sooner because the last pick I saw before I had to make a run for it was Shaq Lawson to Buffalo. And I think that was at 19. So yeah, that was at 19. Yeah, so I get up, I make a run for it. I'm running with all these other guys. And it was funny because I was talking to this one dude. And I have no idea who these guys are. They're just media people. They could be from Chicago. They could be from wherever. They could be from L.A. I sat with next to a guy from L.A. too. And um, I was I was just kind of laughing. I was like, I was like, of course, the Dolphins end up with the best and most controversial prospect in this draft. And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, at least you're getting the best prospect. And I was like, whoa, you're taking this a little too too seriously, pal. So uh, while I'm walking, I was like, I, I was like, I was like, I know who this guy is. Okay, I'm I'm well aware. I just, uh, I mean, there's the Dolphins aren't even in the ballpark of drafting this guy without the situation that came up. So I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I knew that right off the bat. So I run down to the presser, and it's funny. I'm running down this hallway, and there's all these prospects who were just drafted in there. I like I dodged past Jack Conklin. He was getting interviewed for. I, he was getting interviewed by some Michigan. Uh, I think it might have been a Detroit station. I'm not sure, but they had the lights up. They had he was again interviewed by a guy who had his face just totally caked in makeup. And I was just like, I do not want to ruin this shot. 
So I just kind of ducked under. And by the way, Jack Conklin is an enormous human being. So and he's got his Titans hat. I almost wanted to turn around and just like shake his hand and just say like, hey, big fan. But I mean, whatever. So I continue dodging down this hallway. Taylor Decker's in there. Taylor Decker's even bigger than Jack Conklin. So I'm like trying to just whizzing around all these guys. And I managed to get into this press conference about 20 seconds before it started. I just kind of fought for a seat. And I mean, the, the whole room's loaded. And then the whole thing starts up. And I don't, I, I don't know if the people who are listening to this, if they're able to see the, um, the presser. I managed to get a question in. I think it's like in a minute, 52 seconds into the, the actual pressure, pre, pressure, presser. Um, I had to fight it out with these guys, but I managed to get him to answer one of my questions. And the funny thing is I saw on YouTube, a bunch of people thought that I was the guy who asked the, the NCAA question that resulted in, in his, um, I don't know if that, I think that was a publicist assigned to him through his agent. That's what I was told. Um, mm-hmm. But as soon as the NCAA question came up and I, and I knew this was going to happen as soon as that sprung, she came right out. I mean, just like the wizard of Oz from the back of that, that curtain. And it was just like, okay, we're shutting it down. And then a bunch of people on YouTube were saying I was the guy who asked. And I was like, no, I don't care about what the, if the NCAA called him, that doesn't matter to me. I wanted to ask him more questions. I wanted to know if he'd talked to Adam Gase by that point. You know, the question I asked him during the presser was, what did the Dolphins say to you on the phone? I'm sure that it was more than, hey, congratulations, you're a Dolphin. You know, you're the best prospect in the draft. We just got you at number 13 overall. I'm sure some additional words were exchanged here. So that that's really what I wanted to know. And then, um, I mean, you saw online uh, that lady came out and then they took him into a prep room and they were in there for like 15 minutes and we were all hanging outside like vultures waiting for him. They took a picture of the door, which, and I mean, it was this older-looking room, and I was kind of amused by the fact that behind these like, you know, creaking, old-ass doors was the the most ballistic offensive tackle prospect in years, just kind of lurking in there. And I, I'm sure they told him don't answer anything at this point, because I mean, also in that press conference was, I mean, he uh, essentially said that he took money from from Mississippi, you know, from Ole Miss. And then there was this, like, this gasp in the room. And the guy behind me was like, oh, my God, he just admitted it. And the thing is, I was, I was so locked in on this entire interview and being able to get him, you know, being able to get him aside, being able to ask him some questions that I didn't even – and I didn't even know about the Instagram hack at that point. Because, like I said, you don't have that running commentary with you. I knew about the gas mask, yeah. obviously. But I mean, so it was, I mean, it was breakneck how it went from just kind of like a a slow crawl that night with, you know, the players getting drafted and, you know, this is nice and that looks good and everything. And then when when he was drafted, it was pretty much like all hell broke loose there. So, and I had to fight it out with the national media. And that brings me to uh, my next thing while we're waiting for, to Max, for Max to give us a call in, um, I don't know that I was supposed to be in there, but I just followed Tunsil into his South Florida media presser. And that was the picture that I put up on, on Twitter. You saw the picture as him sitting at that really small table. You can see he's yeah, got like those, those ruby red loafer slippers on. I have no idea what the hell those things were, but I, when you're that big and that strong, I, I think you can wear whatever in the hell you want. Um, you weren't going to make fun of him for it. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling him out on that whatsoever. So he goes and I'm I'm sure if they knew who that I wasn't 
I think they figured I was with his team or something because they just let me in and I just stood there. And then I started taking pictures and nobody said anything. And I was like, I'm shocked they're not kicking me out right now. So I'm standing there and he sits down and I don't, you can see on the screen in that picture, it's a, it's like a video conference going on mm-hmm. and you could, and it was all South Florida media and they dim the lights and all of a sudden they just start firing questions at him. And it, they were the stupidest questions I have ever heard for a draft prospect. I understand what just happened. I understand you have to ask about it, but quite literally every other question from South Florida media was you just lost a ton of money. You're not getting that money back. How do you feel right now? Do you regret missing out on 10 to $12 million? Man, did you miss out on a fortune tonight? How do you feel about that? They're just peppering him with this stuff. And I'm like, you're trolling him at this point. And then, and this is the exact tone and verbatim. This is, I don't know who asked him this question. I've asked, I asked a couple of people if they could out this person for me and they couldn't. But somebody just asked him, they're like, are you a drug addict? And they said it just like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this guy probably already hates Miami now. Mm-hmm. After, after this <laughs> entire mess. So you couldn't tell, even just with your familiarity with the South Florida media, you couldn't really get a gauge on who was – you couldn't hear the questions enough to, or to know if it was anybody you recognized? I could hear the questions. I, could, I couldn't tell who was asking them. And that screen, like I said, they dimmed the lights there. I recognized uh, Andrew Abramson. Because okay. he asked about he asked where Tunsil was going to play on that line. So I mean, I and when he asked that, I was like, okay, I, I recognize uh, one of the um, the the three A is one of the the baby birds or whatever we're calling them. So <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so triple A, uh, as we've heard before. Yeah, one of the one of the triple A's. But I'll, I'll give. Uh, Tunsil a lot of props because he was just like, even through the drug addict question he was just laughing and he was like no I'm not a drug addict like he handled it well and like the the sense I got from from chasing that dude around all night is that he's just a you know he's just a big kid you know and he is he's still a kid so I mean yeah he's gonna do stupid things and whatnot but I don't I don't detect any malice in him I don't think that he's a behavior you know a behavioral problem so, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll be able to ask uh, Michael Borky more about this when he gives us a call. I think he's calling us in about 20 minutes. Um, okay. But, I mean, we can ask him about that because, I mean, if anyone had front row seats for the Tunsil show down in, down in uh, at Ole Miss, it's going to be Borky. So, and then I don't know if you heard, um, I mentioned that you're stoked for the, um, the roll, Bama roll guy to come yeah. on the show roll. and talk about Roll Tide Roll. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I think it's I think it's Roll Bama Roll on yeah, on the, yeah. the site. I'm probably I, I was just saying Roll Tide because that's that's what you got to say. You know, any well, any Bama fan would be mad at me if I didn't say that. Well, that's sickening. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had no idea that I. Uh, um. Oh yeah, and you you just retweeted that photo. Up uh, yeah, so that was. That was the point where he was um, taking all those questions. So he gets out of there, and I'm chasing him down somewhere. He goes to a second thing where they just put a bunch of microphones in his face, and it's the same. It's the same question, pretty much redressed. Uh, how does it feel to lose out? Everyone kept saying ten to twelve million dollars. How does it feel to lose out on ten to ten to twelve million dollars? This is why everyone hates the media, because they go out there, they dress like trolls, they look like trolls, they smell bad. I can tell you, so many people there stunk. 
And it's like they just go out there and they just they just troll these players. And I understand you got to ask the tough questions, but I mean, there's there's a difference between being a hard interview and just being a flat out ass. And I mean, that's pretty much what we had there. And I mean, like it was that listening to, to that South Florida presser was really, really kind of sad dehumanizing in some ways because i mean this is a kid who just got i mean this is supposed to be the best night of his life instead it's it's an awesome night mixed in with like a lot of horror so by this point uh i chase him down we get i get him to um the end of one hallway and i i asked his publicist i'm like can i just ask him a question or two i've just got football questions i don't really care about the other stuff and she was like, no, I'm sorry. And you could tell he looked at me and he felt bad, but he was like, nah, bro, I'm sorry. And I was like, nah, fine. But the funny thing is that you could tell the paranoia was setting in because I'm standing there and he looks, he points to my phone. He's like, he's probably recording everything we're saying right now. And I almost wanted to be like, maybe I am. But I mean, that's not something. And I have to say, I felt jealous too. And this is the only time I'm ever, I'm ever going to be jealous of Cleveland is um, Cleveland Browns. Uh, media was down the hallway with uh, Corey Coleman at that point. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Cor- Corey Coleman is a tiny guy. It's amazing that he's that incredible on the football field because he is small. But, um, you know, the media, like the Browns media, uh, they were talking to him. They were all having a really good time. They're all laughing it up. They, they, you know, the official team media for every team was getting a Snapchat from their, their draft pick. And I looked over at the Cleveland fans having a great time with Corey Coleman, I was like, man, I would give anything to have that right now instead of instead of the fact that we're already trying to run Laramie Tunsil off just because uh, he found a he tried to innovate a way to smoke smoke marijuana uh, through a mass that looks like it will be donated to the NASA program at some point. So <laughs> yeah, South South Florida media is a different uh, a different animal, no doubt. It was really upsetting. I was really like I felt bad for him. So like when he told me that he couldn't talk to me just, I mean, you knew he, he wasn't going to do anything at that point that his published didn't approve of. And I understood at that point. So I was like, you know what? Fine. That's, that's the way it is. I get it. But at the same time, it's man, I just wanted to, to be able to get some questions with that guy just to, you know, and even if they could have been one word answers, you know, have you talked to Adam Gase? No, I haven't yet. Awesome. He talked to me and said, I mean, like, he talked to me at the end of his presser. He said a couple of words to me, but I think he was kind of muttering to himself too. It was kind of like when you see a kid, a kid who's going to the principal's office and, you know, he's just like, it's like how Butters kind of talks to himself on South Park, you know, and he's like, I need to learn how to be, I need to learn how to behave myself, you know, stuff like that. So yeah. that, was, that was kind of the vibe that I had, but I mean, like, he seems like a really, he seems like a good guy. Uh, did a couple of dumb things. I'm not really sure why people took him off their draft board for something like that. When you consider the, the uh, considerable offenses, some prospects commit in this day and age. Yeah. So it's, it's just the lack of, it's a lack of time to know though. Some of the, a lot of those things, if, if that happens a week before the draft and people have time to investigate it and know what's going on, then it's a different story. I bet he doesn't drop, but it's the unknown. I've been you know, watching NFL network and uh, some of these guys, and I wish I remember some of the names, I've heard multiple people say GMs were calling the reporters. They're calling the journalists saying, hey, what do you know about this video? I mean, like the, the tides had turned, the roles had reversed. The GMs were, all these GMs were trying to find out 
what do you know about this? What have you heard? What can you find out? Uh, because they, they were in a panic. The GMs and the, these teams were in a panic, and I'm telling you, you just got to give the credit to Miami to just stand in there and make the pick, make the pick they know they should make. And uh, it was, and yeah, they got as it got deeper down, they got a little extra time to kind of figure out what was going on a little bit. But nobody really knew what was going on until maybe the next day, you know. And we started to hear about. I think it was what his financial advisor is the one that he had fired, and he was the one that actually hacked the account and put the uh, video in. And uh, that wasn't. I mean, that wasn't known that night. So uh, definitely, got to give the Dolphins just all the credit in the world. For having uh, having the intestinal fortitude to do what the other teams wanted to, and you know they wanted to, and just were too scared to, and that's just a fact. I'm sorry, but I mean I understand that some teams it didn't really fit, but come on, yeah, you know what I mean, a left tackle like this, a once every ten years kind of guy, and how how often you get a chance? Does any team get a chance to draft a left tackle like Laramie Tunzel? And they were just too scared to do it, and the Dolphins weren't. Well, what about Tennessee trading up and taking Jack Conklin? You know, I mean, like there well, was some uh, – go ahead. Now, I was going to say it's interesting because I had kind of uh, – I had, I had thought that was the perfect thing for them to do before, but this is when I envisioned Tunsil gone, Stanley gone. Uh, if any team thought they had a, they had the, a chance to make a, a riskier pick, you'd think it'd be Tennessee because they just had all these picks and they've they've got their quarterback and boy you'd love to protect him with a guy like Tunzel and they they have like a lot of the, their line is pretty solid and and they've just they've got multiple ways they could have worked the draft throughout the night and and that they did you just think I thought they'd go up and when I saw the trade I'm like oh this is Tunzel it's got to be Tunzel when they went Conklin I was like man how far is this guy going to fall but that that move made sense for them before the draft even started to go up and go get Conklin but I figured Stanley and Tunzel would already be gone by the time it got to that point. So it was just it was interesting that they made that move, but they took not like you said you love Conklin. You're definitely a Conklin guy, but over Tunzel, I don't think so. No, for no no way. I mean, I like Conklin at number 13, you know. I mean, that when you have those picks and it's within reason. And one thing you mentioned and I want to go ahead and kind of expand on it cuz I think it's a good point. Uh after the, after the Dolphins took Tunsil, they said he was the number two player on their board. I'm going to assume Jalen Ramsey was number one. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, so you, you have to think if you have these guys who work for you as scouts, then, yeah, they're probably doing a, a lot of due diligence on the players most likely out of your range, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. Something like this. Nobody saw this coming. If I had gone around, uh, when we did our podcast last Wednesday night and said the Dolphins were going to draft Laramie Tunsil at 13, people would have laughed their ass off. Yes. You know, they would have been like, yeah, well, okay. Yeah, somebody's, somebody has the mask on, but it's not him. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. I don't, nobody. I would I never even thought about it for a second. I'll be honest with you. It was a good – I didn't think the Dolphins were going to do it. When it came up to them, I thought they were going to take, like, Shaq Lawson or something. Uh, I didn't think, uh, you know, or even reach for, you know, William Jackson the third. I, I didn't think that they were going to actually take Tunsil, honestly. That was not a guess. I guess some stuff as the draft went on, but that was not one I guessed correctly. I loved it when um, a bunch of fans didn't want to draft Ezekiel Elliott after he, he folded up his shirt and he had that crop top going on. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was a fashion faux pas or whatever you call it. I don't know any good fashion yeah. words. <laughs> it, it was definitely a faux pas. It was absolutely a faux pas. So, but I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot of people were like, ah, the Cowboys aren't really going to draft him at number four. That's just like a total smokescreen. That's BS. And then, you know, they proceed to do, you know, just that. And you think about it. I mean, it makes sense. They have this ungodly offensive line. That guy is going to pretty much fall backward into a thousand yards. Yeah, that was the perfect. That was a perfect uh, pick for them, and I kind of, I kind of felt that way. And then I was like, as we were doing it, as we were doing it live, uh, I was like, no, they're going to take, uh, they're going to take Ramsey because I was kind of surprised by the Bosa pick because, in essence, the Chargers taking Bosa. If you consider that the first two quarterbacks went, but they really aren't the best two players in the draft. In essence, the Chargers are saying we think Joey Bosa is the best, biggest talent in the draft. That's pretty much what they were saying by taking Bosa. And when it came to it, I'm like, oh, they're going to take Ramsey. But I kind of feel like the Jerry Jones pick would be Zeke because it's a flashy pick. How often does Dallas get to be up this high to take a pick like this without having to trade up for it? And that just monster offensive line, it's a piece that makes them better right now. And they're kind of, especially with Romo, and who knows how long he'll play, built to win right now. Everything just made sense to do that. But then I chickened out and said Ramsey. (laughs) I mean, that's... That was the smart money, wasn't it? Yeah, I just say something like that. That Zeke pick was a perfect fit for the Cowboys. A perfect fit. What about their second round pick? Oh, you're talking about Jalen Smith. Yeah. I had to. So, how did you feel when that happened? Were you crushed? I was really. I was. That that's my guy. I mean, I even wrote on the on the during the draft blog thing, I was like, F you, Dallas. Just F you. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what, what did you guys think was the most surprising pick of the first round? I mean, well, Eli Apple. Did, did. That, it's Eli that's Apple funny, at funny the Giants. When uh, the whole reporter row, when um, they made that pick, there was just this like collective look of stupid on the face of, like, most every guy in it, they just turned around, they're like, what? And, I mean, like, that, you know, that reinforces what Matthew Kanata said on this program last week, though. He said that um, Eli Apple was a target for the Dolphins at 13. I never, I didn't think the Dolphins would get to 13 and not have Eli Apple as an option. That Good. surprised me. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel yeah. about it. Good. I always had I had a hard time getting into his game. I wanted to like him so much, you know. I like the build. Um, I, I like some of the skill set, but I'd watch his tape and I uh, and I just think it's a project, you know. And I don't really want to take you know a big project at thirteen, which is why uh, all these people who are you know banging the table for Mackenzie Alexander, he goes near the end of the second round, you know. But and and he's a project too. It's just a you know, he doesn't have the size that Eli Apple Apple has, and all of a sudden, before you know it, uh, Eli Apple is the number ten pick, and Mackenzie Alexander is going to Minnesota on day two. So, uh, I would say Eli Apple was really surprising. I think um, I want to. I got the Sheldon P- Rankins pick right because I did that pick on uh, Lewis's show a couple of weeks uh-huh. ago, and I and I had the number twelve pick, and I took. And I think you were on that show too, right, Ron? Uh, I was not actually. I was not able to be on that on your uh, carousel there. I don't. I don't know why I thought you were. Uh, there, there are a couple of people 
on that show. Well, there's a lot of people on that show. But, um, yeah, I took Sheldon Rankins with that 12th pick. So, I thought um, when the Dolph- or the Dolph- when the Bears traded up to number nine, I thought that um, I thought that might be uh, Laramie Tunsil. And by that point, everyone in Reporter Row was calling him Laramie Lungsful. Which, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that took like ten seconds to to get out there. I thought that was funny. Uh, when they traded up, and I mean, like, I think they got a guy who's perfect for what Vic Fangio wants to do. He wants an Alden Smith type player like he had in San Francisco, but he doesn't want all the behavior issues. So you go get Leonard Floyd, who's Alden Smith without the behavior issues, and all, by all accounts, a really good teammate, like a really stand-up guy. So, kind, yeah, I think, kind of, and I think that's the moment. If I had to take a guess, that the Giants kind of made. You know, I don't want to say. I want to say, but I don't want to say. It. I want to say they made a panic pick, and they they made bad choices, and they didn't know what they were doing. I want to say that I think they wanted Floyd, and they thought, no way, he's not going to be there to us, and this is our guy. And when the Bears went up above them to get him, they were just like, uh, Apple. <laughs> like I, I, it just almost feels that way, even though you can't imagine guys being paid millions of dollars, NFL GMs, making picks like that. I assume Apple was just the next guy on their board, but they, I bet you there was such a gap in what they were wanting to get and what they actually settled with. They, they couldn't have felt real happy about it either way. No, I don't I mean, think so. It was surprising that he actually got drafted before Hargreaves, and Hargreaves was a, the higher-ranked player. But for me, I think the biggest shock was, and this is kind of a collective thing, but Cleveland, their entire like draft strategy, for once, it almost looked like they knew what they were doing. You know, huh. and yeah, you know, trade down, trade down. Oh, this guy won't be here, but you know, and this guy, you know, he's there. He's a good quarterback, but. We got our guy, and we can probably get him later. So let's go ahead and get some more capital and more capital. By the, by the time they were done, I thought that they were literally going to have like every pick in day three. They were close. <laughs> Seemed like every time you looked at that ticker, it was Cleveland, Cleveland, someone else, Cleveland. <laughs> so I mean, they they almost proceeded to do just that, and I mean, like, and they needed receivers real bad. So the Corey Coleman pick was a good one. You know, I mean. Mm. He wasn't one of my favorite prospects. I mean, like, he's a good player, so. <clears throat> How much of that, didn't they sign RG3? Yes. How much of that do you think took place in their mind for that strategy to unfold? You mean, like, we have our quarterback, so we can go ahead and trade back? I don't know. I mean, not really kind of... that they have their quarterback, but that they have somebody until they can get their quarterback because they weren't going to get the first, you know, they weren't really, they were in position to get the first guy, you know, well, the second best quarterback in the draft, but even that wasn't even, it reminds me a lot of like the 2013 draft, I believe it was. The quarterbacks here really didn't like wow me or anything like that. They were Um, terrible. You mean you mean when the first quarterback taken was <laughs> EJ Manuel? Yeah. And Gino. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was fun. Um, but I mean, it was also kind of funny because the the guy next to me from Pride of Detroit was praying for Taylor Decker to Detroit. So when that happened, he was all stoked. Cause, so, I mean, technically we both got the offensive tackles we wanted. I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, I didn't expect it to work out that way at the beginning of the night, but um, uh, we've got like five minutes before we get our first guest of the night. Uh, if you want to go ahead and give us a quick call, 347-326-9461. There might be something wrong with the board just because I think it's dropped a few calls already, but I think I fixed it. We'll see. It's just a, a bad night for technology, I guess. Must be a full moon or something. So, uh, real quick, what do you guys think of Xavier Howard? That was just about to be my question. The more I read about him, the more I like him. The more I like I, his fit. For I think he's defense. a Vance Joseph guy all the way. You know, big, long, physical, fast. I mean, like he is. I mean, he's got great potential. I mean, I was just calling out some other cornerback prospects for being projects. I mean, he's a guy who's got to come along too. But I think that he's going to the right team. He's going to the right coach, and he's going to be in the right system. And he and he's a second round pick, not a not a number ten overall. <laughs> when you've got other guys on the board that weren't projects, you know, in the case of the Giants. So uh, I, I thought um, – I thought at first I was kind of disappointed because I guess it, uh, naturally you kind of gravitate towards the people you feel should be ranked higher. So in my mind, I think at the time, what, Alexander was still on the board and maybe one other player, and I don't even recall who it was at this point. And then I wondered, why did they pick him? And then as you, as you read more about him, and I said, okay, so it was just more about fit rather than – individual analysis of a player in a vacuum you know and i think the way this the way this draft was so different too as far as there was so many things that happened that were unpredictable beyond the laramie tunzel thing i think a lot of that might have to be to do with uh, gms using more analytics and getting kind of the right fit and less about just individual analysis of players and scouting of players in a vacuum I think in, as more and more as like that happens, I think the draft may become more and more unpredictable uh, as time goes on until the media and the uh, pundits start to get a hold of that part of how teams draft. Uh, I don't know what you guys' thought are on it, but uh, it just seems like that kind of fit into the Dolphins really using analytics and fit as opposed to just individual analysis of a player. I I think their study habits are going to make a lot of people ignorant two, three, two, three years down the road, you know, um, because, you know, Tannenbaum came in and the first thing he did was install that analytics department. Second thing he did was upgrade that analytics department. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I got to give them credit for, but, you know, I think a lot of people just don't realize how much Moneyball went into our draft. And it looks like some things are like, oh, my God, they panicked. But then you think about it and you realize five people in the secondary, you know, five people went in the first round in the secondary, whether it be safety or corner. And our options were limiting. I mean, even a guy we thought we could get in the second round from the University of Miami, he went in the first. 
Mm-hmm. You know, some guys were pining for him too. And then, yeah, Eli Apple at ten overall, but you know, options were dwindling, and so I mean, yeah, they may have panicked, but it's weird how one one drop can change the entire course of a wave, and you never really quite know. You can say, oh well, there was nobody in front of us. But they had potential to move, and other people had potential to move. And later on down the line, you see these runs start happening. And like the running back we took in the third, Kenyon Drake, running back started coming off the board fast, like after a little bit of a lull. So, hey, Chris, I, I really don't, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, we actually got our first guest, and I think Lewis is in the house. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, just set things back a little bit, but we'll bring it back on momentarily. So can you just hang tight? All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Lewis, hello. Hello. How's it going? Just finished up with my show. Now I'm coming on to yours. Hello. Happy to have you. We'll just go ahead and we'll jump to our guest. Uh, we're happy to welcome Michael Borky, Red Cup Rebellion, which is SB Nation's on this page. What's going on, Mike? Hey, guys. How are you? Just taking in some playoff hockey right now. Something that oh, I watching, don't do near enough. Are you watching Nashville and San Jose? Yeah, I've got the Preds on, I guess. Uh, in this region of the country, that's the, the closest team to us, even though from where I sit, it's like a six-hour drive. But... Uh, I guess I'm going to adopt the Predators because this is my first time really sitting down and watching playoff hockey. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I know that's not what I'm here to talk about, but no, that's my favorite sport. No, the people in the South, man, we uh, are starting to adopt it slowly but surely, just like everything else we do here. I think that's the NHL's plan too. That I mean, they figured that it was going to be like a long play, but eventually, like Southern. Uh, residents were going to buy in, you know, especially with teams like the Stars. I mean, there's a lot of fast-paced hockey teams down south, you know, like in the, I, you know, they call it like the Sunshine Belt, all those areas. So, I, I'm I'm always, it's my favorite sport. It always has been. I grew up playing it. Um, obviously, when you live up north, it's easier. You you have more access to the, what you need to play that sport. But um, Oh, yeah, I we, hear you. What um, we do want to talk about, and the reason we brought you on, is uh, the Dolphins drafted an Ole Miss player on Thursday night, and we figured that you had front row seats pretty much for Laramie Tunsil's stay with the Rebels. So what can you tell us about the Dolphins' new offensive tackle slash guard if they use well, it further, which I hope they don't. Um, Thursday night was fun, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was It was, uh, It was. was nerve-wracking. It was, it was fun. It was surprising. I mean – I'm sure it made for huge ratings. Roger Goodell probably made about $100 million that night. Oh, and it's it's funny. People around here are, are not happy with his comments uh, about how um, he kind of enjoyed the way it went down. But uh, I, I said jokingly on a radio show I worked for today that uh, maybe it was the Dolphins that had put this leak out there because they got a uh, potential number one guy all the way down at 13. And uh, – if we're going to talk about him, his just, his ability just as a football player, with putting aside all of this other stuff, and I'm sure you're going to ask me about that, as a football player, and I haven't been covering college football too long. I'm, I'm relatively young, especially in this field. He's the best offensive lineman I've ever seen. And it, it's not just 
his size or, or strength, his feet, he, he moves like a tight end at 6'5", 3'10". His punch, his immediate punch, the first contact he makes with a defensive lineman is so powerful that you watch guys like Miles Garrett, uh, if you go back and, and watch the Ole Miss and Texas A&M game from this year, he's a first-rounder next year. And if Tunsil got the, the first punch in on Garrett, it knocked him completely off of his pass rush, just one punch. But he can still – he's got great feet. And I've seen in his three years at Ole Miss, and he missed a few games this year due to NCAA stuff. He accepted a loaner car too long. I'm sure you guys are aware of that by now. <laughs> yeah. I saw in his three years at Ole Miss two guys get to him. And I don't mean in a game they won the one-on-one matchup in four quarters. I mean – a handful of times in three years, somebody beat him one-on-one. One time was Miles Garrett this past year. And uh, he ended up not – he didn't sack Chad Kelly, but he beat Tunsil once early in the game. And Laramie actually kind of uh, wrapped his arms around him and, and took the hold to avoid the hit. And then Carl Lawson at Auburn. Those are the only two guys that isolated one time I can remember that actually beat him on a play. And when you look at the caliber of the, those two players – that's elite company. And Boston got him a couple of times, and Garrett got him a couple of times. But other than that, Emmanuel Ogba, who was just a highly sought-after guy in the bowl game, Laramie Tunsil made him look pedestrian. As a football player, you could not have picked a better offensive tackle than him. What were you thinking when he was, when he was falling down the board? I mean, you, you see the video with the, uh, the mask, and then I mean, at that point, we don't know how far he's going to fall because the expected range for him started at three with San Diego. And for a lot of people, ended at six with Baltimore. So what were you thinking as he made his way past there? He goes past Baltimore. They take Ronnie Stanley and said, what was going through your mind as you were watching that? Well, to be honest, I wasn't surprised only because the, the timing and the shock value of the video itself. If the video came out, say, six weeks ago, I don't think he falls down to 13. I think at that moment, and there were some teams that apparently were aware and some that weren't, but I think in that moment, the shock value of seeing him with uh, an apparatus that I've never seen before, a smoking device, uh, 10 minutes before the draft starts, I think that was really what generated the fall. And, And each pick, that, that did not select him, I kept thinking, whoever is going to eventually pull the trigger is going to get a steal. But from covering him for three years, it, your heart kind of breaks for a guy like that. Because, and I know it's, look, drugs are bad, don't do drugs. You would have a hard time finding a, a college football player that did not give that a shot, at least once. He never failed a drug test, either from Ole Miss, the SEC, or the NFL. So it's not something that he had a widespread problem of. And when you look at it, it's legal in a couple of states. It's it's a relatively harmless thing you can do. Yes, it's against the law and you shouldn't do it and all of that. But to see something that is widely accepted in college atmospheres and in some states to cost him millions of dollars when you know that a very good portion of that league does it every day, your heart kind of breaks for the kid because he's been great to the media. 
And from all accounts, he's a great teammate. It's just the shock value and the the nature of that video cost him so much, and it came from somebody who obviously wanted to damage him. Where do you see him as a pro? I mean, I we've seen this stuff where people think, like, he might start at guard. I sincerely hope not because that guy, I mean, is the best tackle prospect I've seen in a really, really long time. But where do you see him uh, and his, you know, the effectiveness he has as a pro? How far can he take it? He, he is a guy that can anchor an offensive line for many years. And I, it's kind of funny. You, you bring up them saying they're going to start him at guard. If that is the case, which, like, I agree with you, I don't think it is. But if they do start him out at guard, then Ryan Tannehill's got to be the happiest person on the planet if any team has two better tackles than that guy. Uh, he, he is the type of person that can anchor an offensive line for a decade plus. You hear people talk about maybe injury concerns with him. I think it's a little overblown. The, the shoulder injury that he had uh, early on in his career is something that in different circumstances maybe could have played through, uh, but they decided it wasn't as important. It could have maybe uh, hindered him in the long run if they didn't go ahead and sit in and let him recover. And the leg he broke w- was in the Peach Bowl, the last game of the year, obviously, but if you watch the video, it, it would take a titanium leg not to snap in that moment. He got rolled up on uh, something that's unavoidable. I don't think he's injury prone. I think it's a little overblown, just kind of added to the list of concerns about him, uh, at least off the field stuff. But he, as a football player, and if he gets around the right people, can anchor an offensive line. And not just anchor it from a he's the left tackle, but effectively anchor an offensive line for 10-plus years. Lewis. Yeah, my question. Um, I'm actually this is Lewis Sung. I'm a I'm a good friend of the show. I well, according to Keith, I'm a good friend of the show. I don't know <laughs> if everybody else thinks that. <laughs> anyway, my question to you is: It's kind of along the same lines, but my question is more along the lines of: Do you think that if Tunsil starts on left guard, would it stunt his growth like so many people are so worried about? I, see, I don't know. I, I've Obviously, I've never seen him play guard because he's never done it before, but one would imagine that the the type of athlete that he is, and despite the the bad decisions that have been made considering, you know, the video and the supposed admission of potential NCAA violations, from all accounts, he's a very football smart guy, very intelligent guy, and that doesn't seem like a a transition that he would not be able to pick up right away. And I guess if he starts at guard, it it would hurt some with his development becoming an NFL tackle. But he's so naturally gifted and naturally athletic that that is a transition that somebody like him could could make pretty easily. I would be surprised if he plays guard considering, uh, and not just my opinion, what I've read from various scouts uh, on uh, his footwork and flexibility and strength and being one of the best tackle prospects in, in, in many years. But if he were forced into it, he, he's football smart enough and athletic enough to, to make that transition with ease. You mentioned uh, what he said Thursday night, the ramifications of that, and he brought up something about him hanging out with the right people. Is there a potential for him to hang out with the wrong people? Is this something where, I mean, you got the media blowing it right out of the water and out of proportion right now, but is this something the Dolphins need to carefully consider? See, 
it that that's a tough question only because up until the Robert Kandichi's press conference at the combine saying that Tunsil was in the hotel room, the one that he jumped out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not a fall, guys. He he jumped out of that, that hotel room. Uh, <laughs> up until that point, you had never heard of any trouble or or him being out on the square acting a fool. The only thing you heard about him was he was a hard worker, a good teammate. Everybody in the locker room liked him, and there was no problem. I think when you hear concerns about who he's surrounded by, I think it was the, the stepfather who, who was currently suing him uh, after a, an incident, uh, a fight that broke out between him and, and, uh, and Laramie. And, and then also this apparent financial advisor who is the one that leaked these videos. There are people in, in that capacity that would be concerning. But as far as who he surrounds himself with from a teammate perspective, his time in Oxford, he was clean. He never, there, was, there was never rumors about him getting into it with the law. There was never rumors about him. And, again, he passed every drug test. I know there's a video of him using a funny-looking apparatus. He passed all his drug tests. You never heard him. There was no rumors, no anything about him being in trouble with the coaches or not working hard or showing up. So that, from an Ole Miss fan perspective, Ole Miss fans were really shocked to see that because they had never heard of anything like that from him before. It's more of getting him away from the stepfather and people that – and you guys are NFL guys. You're aware of the leeches that can attach to these guys and, and suck and suck and suck away from them, pretending like they have their best interests in mind, getting away from those kind of people. But as far as friends and teammates, he's okay. It's getting the right support system in place to guide him correctly. That's where the Dolphins need to get with him and – work on it that way just being around him on on Thursday I was going to say that uh he seems like a really I didn't get to talk to him too much but he seems like a just a good kid you know I mean he's going to get I mean kids are I mean especially if you're in college you play football you're the big man on campus you're going to do some things I get that but I mean he just seemed like he's I I mentioned earlier he doesn't seem like a, a person where there's anything malicious that he does you know, he's just a kid who happens to be great at what he does on the football field, has an incredible future ahead of him, and the Dolphins are fortunate that they get to partake in that now. That was pretty much my big I, takeaway from Thursday night. I agree with that completely. And uh, and I'm, I'm kind of proud of, of Ole Miss fans, and, and I, I work in media, and uh, the, the Friday shows and then Monday and today, we were expecting a lot of nasty phone calls and people vilifying him, and that just didn't happen because – from what you hear and, and when you talk to, to people in and around the program and your, quote, inside sources, and then hearing quotes from coaches and, and teammates, everybody liked him, and he was an extremely hard worker. If you look at the, his body transformation from his freshman year to his junior year, hey, that, that doesn't just come. I mean, he, he's a hard worker, and your, your assumption is correct. He's a, a kid, a good kid that made some mistakes, harmless mistakes that cost him a little bit. But as far as getting a guy, he's, I would not expect him to be a troublemaker in Miami. He's going to show up and go to work and be a great football player. That is the, the steal of the, at least the first round. 
is getting Tunsil at 13. Go ahead, Lewis. I didn't mean to and cut you, know, you off earlier. And, and you know what, guys? Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. We, I just got finished saying this on my show. I am not going to begrudge Laramie Tunsil for what he did. I'm, now, let's, I'm, uh, I take, uh, let me just take away the whole bong thing. Like, that I have no defense for. I don't know what he was doing. He just kind of lost his mind there, I guess. But you look at the other things that he got in trouble for, like taking the money from the coach and uh, uh, the fight uh, against his stepdad or whatever, both times. And I'm not going – and, again, I'm not going to say the end justifies the means or whatever. Obviously, he did, what he did was wrong. But supposedly, if this is the truth, the reason that he took the money was so he could pay for his mother's electric bill. And the reason that he fought with his stepdad was, again, because he was defending his mother. So I am not going to come out and say that this guy is a thug because he did so-and-so. Sometimes the intent is – almost as important as what he did. Uh, did he do the wrong thing? Yes. Did he take the wrong approach to trying to fix what he needed to fix? Probably. But considering what it was that he was trying to do, what he was trying to accomplish, I'm not going to look at this guy and say he's done screwed up. Exactly. And there's some people, in, and I'm, I'm in wait-and-see mode about this as far as the validity, but there are some people close to the Ole Miss program that are saying that the, the money that he was asking coaches for was actually within NCAA rules in some uh, athlete emergency fund that they had set up at that time, which is no longer the case because the cost of attendance now has gone into effect. But they're adamant that Ole Miss is going to be able to prove that that wasn't even against NTA rules. In the incident with the stepfather, now I'm sure you guys weren't aware of the, the proceedings of the court case. Tunsil's stepfather in the first hearing represented himself and put a, I guess he's 13, uh, half-brother of Laramie's up on the stand, and, and it was a nightmare. And there, there are stories and, and stuff of him trying to exploit money from Ole Miss in the past, and he also filed the civil suit two days before the NFL draft. So if you're skeptical about his testimony in what caused the fight, that's justified because he's a bit of a shady character, to put it kindly. And most people tend to side with Laramie in that fight. And, again, like you said, yeah, he smoked a little pot. He took a little bit of money from the NCA, But those are victimless crimes. He, he doesn't have a, a drug addiction issue. He, he didn't get multiple DUIs or, or beat up a girlfriend, smoked a little weed, and took some money to help his mom pay an electric bill. That seems, when you put it that way, pretty harmless. I, will I never, agree. Never protecting, I will never begrudge a man for protecting his mother. I will That's say true. that you probably approached it wrong, but I will never say that he did that wrong because sure. you, you defend your mother. End of discussion. Sure. Absolutely. So, and, there's, and there's that narrative, of course, when, when you bring up the NCAA – and college football fans, of course, jumped on it and pulled the whole Ole Miss cheating card, which it, whatever side you're on doesn't matter. But th- there's a, a very large group of people out there that think that these athletes should be paid anyway. So not only do they not care that Tunsil asked for money, they think he should have and should receive it and get compensated even more than he was. So um, from the eyes of, in that end, it's not a big deal. You know, for a Dolphins team that – often doesn't have a lot of things go their way. 
off season, during season, whatever. Uh, and a lot of bad decisions too. This seems like a franchise changer in a lot of ways that, I mean, not only did they get the best player in this draft at 13, they got the guy who would have been the best player in a lot of drafts at 13. Yeah. And two weeks ago, he was the number one pick because Tennessee would, if they did not trade, and it was a great trade on their part, if they did not trade for that pick, they would have selected him at number one. So this is a guy that was the number one pick, depending on what draft evaluator you read, was the best player available, including Mel Kuyper, fall all the way down to 13. And it could be a franchise changer. Now, it, like you said, of course, there's other pieces that need to be in place. But as far as protecting Ryan Tannehill from the tackle position, the Dolphins could not have done any better than what they did with that selection. And it's not just me being an Ole Miss homer. It's, I've read from enough national people to justify my opinion on that. So who do you think the pro-level comparison is, though, the pro-level comp? I mean, is there a guy in the league right now who reminds Ooh. you a lot of Laramie Tunsil in his overall game? That's, that's a fantastic question. I, I thought about saying Michael Lower just as a joke. but um, <laughs> Thank you for not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a Michael Lower 2.0. Uh, he scored 97% in, in protective instinct. Um, kidding, by the way, that's. <laughs> uh, I guess we're a little more familiar with the movie than, than you all are. But, um, no, no, no. I, 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 escaping me. He, he played for the Ravens for, for years, um, just retired yeah. over the last couple of years. What is his last name? Oh, Because Jonathan Ogden was the big one they had for a long time. Yes. And, and yeah, they're, they're different size-wise, but from an impact that they can have on an organization, I think they're similar in that regard. Oh man, I'll take a long-term option at that position. Well, you got me going. Played left guard his first year. Jonathan Ogden. I I got a question actually for you, sir. Um, Sure. Why do you truly think that Baltimore? Do you really think Baltimore pulled Tunzel? I mean, uh, just a prospect like that at a position they really needed off their board just because of that video? Do we really think that was the case, or were they nervous about him maybe go, even going into the draft before the video? Had you had you heard anything about that at all? There was well, it's hard there to believe. about them leaning the other way uh, towards Stanley, but as far as taking him off their board when they saw that video, I have a hard time believing that that organization, of all organizations in the NFL, has a moral issue with smoking weed. And that just that threw me off a little bit. But I, there, was, there was some scuttlebutt about that. And I, I have a hard time buying it. If, if that's the case, that's the only organization in the NFL that had – and Phil Savage, who used to be a, a general manager in the NFL, now uh, runs the Senior Bowl, uh, was on one of the shows I worked for recently and said that the Ravens emphatically had Stanley ahead of Tunsil no matter what happened. And – I just don't I, – I have a hard time believing that. Uh, I I will take the word of all of the pundits that said otherwise over um, a former GM who now doesn't even work in the industry anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I read a couple of places that said that they were going to go Stanley regardless. I don't know. I would have gone Tunsil even with that video. And I liked Ronnie and, Stanley a lot. But I think in terms of the overall – 
package of player you're getting. I think there are some things that Laramie Tunsil has. There are some intangibles in his game that you either get it or you don't. And I think Ronnie Stanley lacks a couple of those things. So it was a no-brainer. For and the, 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 the big comparison people made between the two was Tunsil played in a zone read kind of spread option style offense. And so Ole Miss rarely, I think only eight times in his three years, did the quarterback do a seven-step drop. Whereas Stanley had to do that, I think, up, upwards in, into the 30s. But when you, when you watch him play, the seven-step drop, three-step drop wouldn't have mattered. Uh, I'm telling you, there's only a handful of times where somebody ever beat him. Not, again, not a player that beat him all night. Like a handful of times where one instance occurred where he got beat. It rarely happens. And so that was kind of one of the contributing factors was, well, he's never really blocked in a scheme like that that requires more time for a quarterback to make a long drop like that. But when you watch him, that's not going to matter. And, of course, there's going to be some growing pains. He's not going to dominate the NFL like he did college, but it's it's not going to matter from a transition sense. It's not going to take long for him to become the best offensive tackle in the AFC East. That's an exciting thing. Um, we have a, a beat writer down in South Florida who happens to be a complete idiot and, uh, we go. said, and said that, uh, <laughs> Laramie Tunsil is not his guy because he wants a mover at offensive tackle and Laramie Tunsil just kind of gets in the way. Now on a scale of one to 10, first of all, how stupid is that to you? And that's entirely incorrect. I mean, not even close. He ran in a, a spread option scheme. He had to be a mover, or else he wasn't effective. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that um, and, and, I mean, sure, there, there are times where they run zones, and that's kind of what you do in a zone: is you just kind of step and take your guy where he wants to go. But if if he is trying to imply that Tunsil cannot move. I guess he didn't watch the combine or the pro day. I wasn't sure if he's talking about mobility or if he's talking about just an ability to blow a guy off the ball. I'm not sure really what he meant with that one, but. He wants mean, nasty, mauler people who will push you down and then step on your throat. Oh, like Jake Long. Cool. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. I think that. Laramie Tunsil is a better offensive tackle press prospect than Tyron Smith. And I was big on Tyron Smith and, you know, outside of the fact that that guy had like those freakishly long arms and whatnot. But if you're talking about a, ta- uh, a tackle draft that doesn't feature like an Orlando pace, um, I think that in that really tackle rich class in 2008, Laramie Tunsil would have been the best. And there were guys like Jake Long, Ryan Claddy in there. Uh, some guys who turned out to be bust. Uh Dwayne Brown ended up being a really good, player, but Laramie Tunsil is, in my opinion, uh, a once-in-a-decade type offensive tackle. I think he's that good, and the Dolphins, I don't know. I mean, the Stars had to align. A lot of things had to go right for those guys to get him at number 13, and I still really, it hasn't set in, and I remember following him around when I was, well, chasing him around that Thursday and having to ask him questions like a reporter, but I mean, inside, I'm like, I'm a fan. 
you know, I'm a fan of the team that just drafted you. And like, I, I almost passed out, you know, I mean, like you can't ever, you always want to be a professional, but I was like, dude, you, I mean, you have no idea just how freaking stoked I am right now about the fact that I, I have a quarterback who just has was sacked just South of 200 times the past four years. And then they just got, they just delivered you to him. Yeah. So and for, for the, the feeling wears off over time, but I was. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, just for the Dolphins fans that are listening that have never seen him play, his measurables are not going to blow you away. He's six foot five, you know, three ten. His arms aren't abnormally long, but if you're skeptical, make some time to watch him. Uh, put on an old Ole Miss game, uh, the Texas A&M game versus Miles Garrett, uh, the first half against Oklahoma State. Uh, against Emmanuel Ogba and, and watch him perform against elite defensive ends, and, and you're, if you have any doubts, will be completely removed. Unless you're looking for a mover. Um, Unless you're looking for a mover, which those are two of the most athletic defensive ends you'll ever see. And with the exception of one time with Garrett early in that A&M game, he was dominant. I'll leave everything with this. Just because um, I think uh, I don't want to I don't want to keep you too long, but I really appreciate the fact that you're able to um, really shed a lot of this um, a lot of light on uh, this player, this controversial player, just happens to be a gift for the Dolphins. But I really wish that Tunsil had kept that chin strap Zangief type beard that he had going on. <laughs> that thing was incredible, and when I saw him at the draft, I was almost bummed when he didn't have it. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, and, uh, he wanted to look good period. for draft day, man. His big day that – and it's going to come out soon enough who sabotaged him, some disgruntled former something to him decided to earn his big day. But uh, Well, the Dolphins he wanted to look good for his moment. The, the Dolphins say he's the financial advisor. And that's what we're hearing too. And financial advisor is a term that uh, they're probably using a little loosely – uh, but it is somebody that is some sort of advisor to him that was no longer with him and, I guess, decided to uh, take his anger out on Tunsil on draft day and uh, cost Laramie a lot of money. But if he wants to decide to pursue legal action, uh, this guy's in a lot of trouble. And so it just depends on whether or not Laramie wants to let this thing linger or uh, just move on with his life, accept uh, the payday that he got and uh, – be the good pro that most of us around here expect him to be. He looks like the kingpin. That is how big that guy is. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> just like up next to him. And I'm not a, I mean, I'm not a small person. I'm fairly tall, but dude, I just felt like, I felt like Webster next to that guy. He was just <laughs> e- enormous. So, I mean, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll uh, wrap it up there. Uh, Michael sure. Borky uh, is with uh, red cup rebellion. Uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, it's the most creative Twitter name you'll ever hear. It's at Michael Borky. It took me a long time to come up with it, uh, but that's where I am on Twitter. Uh, I've got a lot of podcasts and, and crap that I link to all the time. I'm, uh, it's all messed up, though. I'm sure they won't be too locked in, but if you are so inclined to follow me, go ahead. That's where you can find it. I think we've got a fair amount of Dolphins fans who actually are Ole Miss fans, so uh, definitely really? some crossover well, there. Well, you've gained a lot more now that – the thing I will say about Ole Miss fans is when an Ole Miss person has success at the next level, it is a cult following. 
and they will follow Laramie Tunsil. They will buy Dolphins Laramie Tunsil gear. They will watch Dolphins games on Sunday. They're a very committed group of people with their pros. Yeah. I appreciate you stopping by, and uh, hopefully we can bring you on again soon. Maybe we can get a little bit of an update as we – I just – I really don't want to use him as a guard. I understand that it could happen. I think he's already a better tackle than Brandon Albert. That's a crummy thing to say, but if we're going on – if we're going on upside here, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take my chances, especially because I think Brandon Albert's a better guard than he's a tackle. So we'll see. Sure. It's up to Adam Anytime, Gates. guys. You know where to find me. All right. Thank you for stopping by. We hope to talk to you again soon. All right, have a good one, guys. You too. Thanks. Take care. All right, that was Michael Borky, uh, Red Cup Rebellion, the Ole Miss site for uh, SB Nation. Glad to have him on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just go right to our next guest because he's right on time, and I know that Ron's been looking forward to this all night. This is Brett Taylor. He's with Roll Bama Roll. What's going on? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Uh, well, I mean, we'll just get right into it. Um a lot, were you – well, actually, no, we'll go ahead and preface this entire discussion with were you surprised by the lack of Bama players day one in the draft? Um, sort of. I definitely expected Ron Kelly to go, and I thought Reggie Ragland would too, but the hard aorta thing kind of came out right before the draft, and that's what dropped him. With Ashawn Robinson and Jaron Reed, the two defensive tackles, I, I did expect those to drop. I didn't know if they drop out of the first round or not. But I did I was kinda ready for that one. They're both, you know, big run stoppers, don't offer a whole lot in pass rush, and that's just not valued as much. So, I mean, all, all of a sudden day two, I mean, those guys just start flying off the board. It wasn't a surprise. He saw, you know, Ashawn Robinson. I know my Bears fan friend really wanted him. Uh Jaron Reed and then uh, in the third round, the Dolphins kind of surprised some people. They go with Kenyon Drake. I mean, Dolphins need a backfield complement. They've got Jay Ajayi right now. They just lost Lamar Miller. So what can you tell us about Kenyon Drake? He, he's an interesting player. Um, he's been, you know, a senior, which compared to most Alabama running backs, they only stay there for three years and then they're gone. So he's one of the few that's made it all four years. And even as early as his freshman year, he was contributing a good bit, either in short yardage or just change of pace type of plays. By his sophomore year, 2013, uh, he was actually the backup to T.J. Yeldon ahead of Derrick Henry on the depth chart. And stayed that way throughout most of the year. Drake, he's got a reputation for being a speed guy. But that year he was actually used most as a short yardage because he hit the hole so fast and decisively. Uh, 2014, it was the season started the same rotation order, Yeldon, then Drake, then Derrick Henry. But Yeldon, or Kenyon Drake ended up breaking his leg against Ole Miss early in the season and missed the whole junior year. So then 2015, Derrick Henry comes out of nowhere, is amazing, went to Heisman, and Drake just uh, never really gets back into the role he had. So all that to say, he's just kind of been derailed by injuries and depth chart. So we don't really know how good he's actually going to be. He's fast. He's a great receiver, uh, averaging almost 13 yards of reception throughout his whole career. (laughs) 
and just a real good change of pace guy. Well, what we have on right now is Ron, I just found out that my co-host Ron is a Bama fan, and we also have Max, who's an hour late, by the way, and he's on because his favorite <laughs> his favorite player in the draft was Reggie Ragland. Okay. When those heart when those those quote unquote heart problems came out, it's just that he has too much heart. That's the only issue. He plays with too much of it. He's, yeah, that was awesome. He was he was the. He was the player I wanted for the Dolphins. I mean, obviously, obviously with the player who fell to Miami, can't say no. But if Miles Jack, Laramie Tunsil, Vernon Harder, if if all of the top tier guys had been gone, Reggie Ragland is who I wanted for the team. I think, you know, I guess it's Buffalo. But, you know, wherever Ragland stepped in, he's just going to be an instant impact player in his role. The Dolphins needed someone, and if you want to replicate the success that he had at Alabama playing behind um, Jaron Reed and Ashawn Robinson, you put him in Miami. You put in Dominic Sue in front of him, and if Jordan Phillips can develop, then, I mean, that's, that's the best way to replicate that level of success. But, I mean, in Buffalo, you know, now he's playing in front of behind Marcel Darius, and so, I mean, it's not exactly a bad situation there either. So no, I think Buffalo with, would be a pretty good fit for him. Yeah, yeah I mean, and Rex Ryan, Rex Ryan is great with every defensive player he gets his hands on. I mean, it's it's a it's a good fit for him. I really like Shaq Lawson going there. Um, I don't think Shaq Lawson is the type of player that makes a defense. You know, I think if Dolphins fans are saying, oh, they should draft Shaq Lawson, I don't think Shaq Lawson is ever going to be the type of player who takes over on his own. He's not a Robert Quinn. He's not a Cameron Wake. But if you put him in a defense that already has pieces, I think he can be successful. And adding Ragland to that defense is going to make life tough for the Dolphins. There's something so fitting, you know, when it's snowing up there and it's, you know, negative 10 degrees and Reggie Ragland is just there hammering running backs in December. It's a terrible place. I hate Buffalo so much. Um, <laughs> I've never so, been, but I got to go try the wing. Uh, you, can, you can get those anywhere. It's not exclusive to Buffalo. Um, yeah, you can go to the room in South Florida. They've got good wings. There it is. Yep. Or I mean, if you're gonna go to Buffalo, might as well just go, like go to Niagara Falls and then just go to a better place in Canada. So one thing uh, is with um, so Kenyon Drake now with the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins have Jay Ajayi, who's I mean not a huge back. I mean, like he's good. He's I'd say there's there's some wiggle to his game. He's got a little bit of shift. I mean, he's got he's got good speed. So where do you think the compliment is now that you bring in Kenyon Drake, who has very good speed? Um, Drake at Alabama, we used him a lot later the last couple of years on outside stretch type plays, getting him into space. Um, he's very good at that. But one thing you have to watch out for with him is it's almost like he gets so excited to run the ball and make a play that he ends up running into his own blockers. Uh, I saw one scouting report, the funniest line I've ever seen, said Kenyon Drake is the living example of having too much speed. And yeah. you can see that at times. He'll run into people, uh, just outruns his blockers before they can get there, and presses too hard quite a bit. Sometimes I can get him off balance, too. It's one of those, if he sees a tackler and knows he's going to get hit, he can square up and get is very good balance and body control. But if he's not really ready for it, he goes down fairly easily. He's, he's got a bigger frame I than, I, than I initially suspected. 
Yeah, he's, he's what, um, 6'1", 210. Yeah. Yeah, 6'1", 205. He's, um, I think, initially my thought was getting drafted by the Dolphins was the worst thing that could have happened to him because Miami needs a returner. And Kenyon, Kenyon Drake is, he has injury concerns and he's had a lot of, he's had some surgeries and it's a lot of the battles going to be about keeping him healthy. I think, you know, a lot of Dolphins fans wanted to see the team go out and get uh, an every down back and draft, you know, people started talking a few days before about Ezekiel Elliott, but I think when you have Kenyon Drake and Jay Ajayi, I think, you know, at the start of the season, it'll be a, like a 70-30 split, and I think it'll make its way closer to 50-50 by the by season end. But drafting Jakeem Grant is the best thing that's happened to Kenyon Drake for Miami already because it yeah. means Kenyon Drake isn't going to have to be on return duties, and neither is Jarvis Landry. I mean, I think we all, we all know Jarvis is explosive there. I mean, he won the Dolphins their week one game against Washington last year single-handedly on that return. But – if you if you look at you know Jarvis in his first two seasons it's happened both years his knee his knee gets worse as the season goes on and he's always banged up by the end of season partially attributed to his, his playing style and I think getting him off of return duties was a priority so I think that was part of the Kenyon Drake decision I mean you know you look at drafting C J Procise who's a pretty similar player to Drake in terms of what they bring on the field Drake's a little bit faster a little bit more of a twitchy athlete. And CJ Procise has a little bit more like a more of a pure running back skill set, even though he's only been playing the position for a year. But um, I think then when they saw Jakeem Grant on the board, I know based on people I've talked in the building that he was higher on their board than a sixth round guy. It was just a question of the fact that he's five foot six. So it's it's going to be good for Kenyon Drake that he doesn't have to that he doesn't have to deal with that. I'm not sure. Um, exactly which surgeries and injuries he's had at this point, but I know he said in his press conference he's had his knee and elbow rebuilt. See, I love the the Drake pick. Ron, what did you think? You're a Bama guy. Well, I, I mean, I had said at least a week, maybe two weeks before on several podcasts, as well as said on Twitter, that the perfect fit, every time you say, well, we need a complimentary guy for a Jai, if we're not going to draft Zeke, we need, I kept on saying, it's Kenyon Drake, it's Kenyon Drake, it's Kenyon Drake, I'm telling you. He's perfect fit. And I know that a lot of people think that uh, Grant is just going to automatically play the return guy. I'm telling you, that's going to be a battle. Like Grant's going to have to to earn that against Drake because Drake is a really good return guy. And both those injuries were broken bones, so it's, that's almost kind of a freak thing as opposed to like a soft oh, I see, tissue I situation. Right. Yeah, yeah as opposed to a too. soft tissue situation. Plus, and exactly before how uh, you were explaining. Um, his lack of playing time in Bama was just bad luck between the two injuries and the fact, and if I remember correctly, when they got Derrick Henry as a five-star recruit, who I believe was actually at the time the number one like all-time rusher for a high school player, it was like really late in the season, and Bama wasn't really expecting to get him initially. And it's just almost like they ended up with this extra back. So Kenyon Drake between the injuries and just like this one extra back that kind of fit into, you know, how they how Saban likes to kind of see it out for three, four years because that's the way he is. Just all of that kind of put Kenyon Drake on the back burner a little bit. So then Dolphins fans are like, what? This guy had five or ten snaps. Like, I'm telling you, Dolphins fans, I promise you, the second you see this guy hit the field, you're going to fall in love with this guy. I promise you. He is just he well, is one sick. Thing- one thing that Go I ahead. noted in I when I did the um, when I did the grades on Kenyon when I did the grades in the draft class is my biggest problem with Kenyon Drake and it's not his fault 
you know, it's, it's a product of the system. And Alabama, at Alabama, you've got a five-star waiting behind you at every position. So I'm, mm-hmm. it's good to know that those are, those are broken bones because, I mean, you know, it's, that's a freak injury. That's not something as long as it's not the same bone multiple times. And it was it, No, it was, one, but, it was an arm and it was a leg. Those, those okay. were the injuries. And uh, I, I just think – and plus, he, I know he's been uh, dogged on a little for having some drops, but it was the, kind of the same thing before. It's the excitement. Uh, those drops that I remember were mostly him trying to take off before he actually caught the ball, not well, a case of – like we, like we feel he got, like, bad hands or something. Like, he has good and hands, one drop good in space. And one drop on his arm. I think, I think he's, like, imagining – imagine having kind of a I, – I know now, – now I'm really going to get yelled at for this, but imagine kind of having, like, a – a Reggie Bush, but I think he can be. I feel like he could be a little better than Reggie Bush really ever was in the NFL. That's my personal opinion. And again, I think he's really going to be fighting for that return game. I don't think it's automatically going to go to Grant, or or well, they're both going to kind of be rotating in, and you know that you're not going to have to use Landry and and both guys, Grant, but especially Drake. I think will be an explosive return guy for us. So well, I mean, I'm the, very the, excited we drafted him. Well, the thing is, when you watch on tape it's hard to judge him because, like you said, he never gets into a rhythm. You know, with running backs, you always watch whenever you see, oh, a running back had, you know, 200 yards. You notice those highlights aren't as often in the first and the third quarters. Those highlights are in the second and the fourth quarter because it's when they get in rhythm. Kenyon Drake never had an opportunity to get in rhythm because, obviously, he was getting taken out for a Heisman-winning running back. But when you look at the situation – Something that Adam Gase loves, every coach is, is crazy about this. When you can dress a guy on game day and he can be both your sixth receiver and your third running back, that's huge. Nick Saban put Kenyon Drake as the slot receiver a lot of the time. You know, he always finds great ways mm-hmm. to get all of his best players on the field. He had Kenyon Drake in the slot, and that's one of the reasons he dropped a lot of passes. He's getting hammered by linebackers. Usually as a running back, you're catching passes in the open field if you're trying to learn to catch passes at the running back position, it's one of the few things that you can get better at by just doing it against air. Because at, the, at running back, you're not really making that many contested catches. It's just about having the, like, the awareness on the field to be able to secure the ball and turn up field. But it's great pick in the sense that there's no one better for skill set for what the Dolphins need. You know, Adam Gase, at the running backs between Ajayi, Kenyon Drake, and whoever the third is, whether it's Isaiah Pete or Damian Williams – could end up catching a grand total of 80, 80, 90 passes between them next season. I mean, Adam Gase is really going to force the ball of the running back out of the backfield, partially early on because Ryan Tannehill's never had to make those decisions at the line of scrimmage, so he's, he's going to go to his check down a lot. You know, it's common logic. He's going to do that. But it makes sense to bring in a player like Kenyon Drake, and I understand why he's doing it over C.J. Procise, because a player from a Nick Saban, from Nick Saban's system – is ready to come in and contribute right away because they're basically play, they're playing at an NFL level. Nick yeah, they're pro trained. They're pro trained right, when they exactly. walk onto the field. It's, it's like they're playing in the SEC. They're playing on one of the best teams with and against all the best players. It's exactly. nothing's going to give you more closer to like an NFL feel than playing in Bama. And Plus, they're, they're used to pressure. They're playing in championship games. They're always exactly. fighting. That's, you know, at the end of the season, I'm it. telling you, that's like that's, that's it's what's frustrating me SEC. for so long. 
for so long it's frustrated me that we've never drafted Bama guys. And, you know, and everybody's like, who cares? Omar Kelly, so? Well, so, they're really good players, that's why. <laughs> and they have a lot of experience. And, yeah, maybe sometimes they get onto, into the NFL and they don't really bring it to the next level because they're already so good. Well, so? You know, tell that to Cooper. <laughs> tell that to Mosley in Baltimore. You know, tell it to to all these guys that have, these Bama guys that have been so good. Um, you know, over the last five years. One thing to remember about Drake is, you know, we all kind of typecast him into this receiver running back hybrid role, a pass catcher, a speed guy. But his first couple of years here were like as a true running back, and that's what he was. He was just explosive through holes. Well, when Lane Kiffin came in to be offensive coordinator, Kiffin automatically saw him as like a Reggie Bush-type player and started sending him out. All his runs, everything, are screens, jet sweeps, uh, quick little outs, stuff like that. So the last couple of years, he hasn't really gotten to be a true running back. But he has shown in his first couple of years at Alabama that he can do that. So that's like an untapped thing that he might have. And that's going to fit in with Gase because a lot of times we've seen Gase, he'll he'll put a, a running back in there and he's not rotating in and out for a series. He's leaving one in, one running back in there and riding them out for a series or two and then sometimes he'll rotate in another. Now, I don't know that he'll do that in Miami. That's what we saw in Chicago. And that's another reason why people think, why did we draft Drake? It doesn't make sense. It does make sense because exactly what you said. He's done that and he can hit the hole so quick. So quick, I promise you. When you first see him do it, you're going to be like, you're going to be able to see it on the field, especially like when we go to the practice and stuff. You're going to physically see it with your eyes, how quick he the, can hit the hole. The other thing that's important to note with Drake, and especially you just touched upon it with Adam Gase's offense, that he doesn't take the running back necessarily. They don't rotate in on a possession. They don't rotate in per play. They rotate in per possession. What Adam Gase likes to do is Adam Gase likes to switch up who's in the backfield and then send them out into the slot. So, I mean, he can get really creative with these formations. And he can have, he can have Kenyon Drake start, start in the backfield, move him out into the slot, bring him back. It's, it's going to be a really interesting – it's going to be really interesting to see how he utilizes it. And back to the, the pedigree that comes with playing at Alabama. You learn how to practice like a pro. You learn how to prepare like a pro. It's, that's, that's what it is in my mind more – than the games because I don't necessarily give SEC bias as often to guys, even if it's LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Auburn, whatever it is. At Alabama, they prepare like pros. They watch film like pros. They train. They condition. Everything is done as if it were an NFL level, and that's what makes them so successful. And so they get to the NFL, and they're used to it. You know, it's not, you know, the quantity of practice and the, the environment and the pressure, the pressure in the practice field is also what's so different. Because in the NFL, you're going up against, you know, high caliber athletes on every single play, and there's pressure on every rep. If you're Kenyon Drake, there's more pressure at Alabama to keep your starting job than there ever will be in the NFL. I mean, like, you've got five stars behind five stars behind four stars. You've got Derrick Henry and Bo Scarborough and all these people on this running back depth chart, you can't afford to fumble in practice. It's the same as in the NFL. In most colleges, you know, if Ezekiel Elliott's there at Ohio State and he fumbles four times in a practice, who cares? If Derrick Henry fumbled four times in practice before the national championship game, Nick Saban probably would have given Kenyon Drake, you know, 10 more reps. It's just how it works. And so they're ready to get in there and compete. And that's why I like, I 
always think picking Alabama players is a pretty good idea. A lot of the times when they're at a high level, you have to worry because you say, oh, can they get any better? That's, I think, a little bit what we've seen with Marcel Darius. He got to the Bills, and he, ha- he is what he is. He's been the same player since he got there. He's improved a little bit, but, I mean, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't done what most people do and take a, you know, walk the staircase, you know, get better every year. Kenyon Drake has the potential to do that because his potential wasn't tapped at Alabama because he just didn't play enough. And so it's, it's the ultimate upside pick. And there's not a better place for him to land than with Adam Gase who can utilize his skill set so well. I mean, he's not going to try to feed him between the tackles 20 times a game. He's going to, he, he'll have, I think he'll probably have between 12 and 16 touches a game this season. And I'd say he's going to probably, he'll, he could catch more passes than Ajayi on a much smaller number of reps. It's going to be really interesting to see how he utilizes it. I just, I, I can't help but think he got overdrafted a little bit, but that's a theme we saw in Miami throughout the entire draft. They took guys who were going to fit their system when they wanted them because they didn't want to lose out on them. You know, Xavier Howard, when you look at those corners that were left, he's the only guy who fit what the Dolphins want, the longer guy who can play in that um, press zone. And it's, I've always been in, uh, in favor of overdrafting guys if you think that they're going to fit your system. But I don't know why in this case. I just didn't quite feel right about Kenyon Drake that early. All right. I think uh, we're going to go ahead, <clears throat> go ahead and use that as our stopping point for tonight. I want to thank uh, Brent Taylor for stopping by from Roll Bama Roll to talk some Kenyon Drake. Uh, so, he can, yeah, no uh, problem. so he can amuse Max and, uh, and Ron. With the, uh, Can we just take one sec? What do you think of Reggie Ragland? Just one, one quick little rag, one last Ragland fever trip for me, please. Just one more. What were your thoughts on Reggie Ragland? I think he's talking to you, Brent. Uh, um, yeah, Brent. I liked him a lot. I thought, uh, you know, great player, great instincts, always on top of the ball, moving. Um, great heart. I don't think he's as good as, say, like our Dante Hightower or even Rolando McClain, who did, you know, kind of flame out of the NFL. But in college, I don't think Ragland was as good as either of those players and not as good as his, uh, I guess, cupbearer coming up is going to be Reuben Foster. Watch out for him next oh, year. Oh, he is good. He is good. But, yeah, it's – He's a perfect fit in Buffalo. They'll minimize his role. It's 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 very sad for me. There were three teams he couldn't go to, and he went to one of them. Yeah. Well. All right. Thanks, uh, Brent. I mentioned Roll Bama Roll able to come by and uh, talk with us. Michael Borky from uh, uh, Red Cup Rebellion, the Ole Miss SB Nation blog, stopped by earlier, gave us some insight on Laramie Tunsil. I want to thank my usual crew, co-host Ron. Uh, main contributor, Lewis, uh, and my other contributor, Max, for stopping by an hour late. It's all about time change, Max. Pay attention. <laughs> I, I, mis- I miscalculated. The whole central time always throws me off. Yeah, I know. That's where, that's where I am. And uh, for everyone listening to this show and also watching the Heat game at the, at the same time, I, that, that was an I incredible shot to tie it up. <laughs> that was funny that's stuff. Awesome. So, all right. I want to thank everyone. I think we were for... all at the same time. Just stop talking at that moment. 
<laughs> I was just trying not to laugh. I've got I've got hockey going on on my phone and everything, so it's all about multitasking, and I've gotten a lot better at it. So all right, so that was our our draft wrap uh, show. Uh, next week we'll go ahead and play the uh, the Matt Dar interview that uh, uh, Ron and I did earlier today. We didn't have room for it on this week's um, podcast, and I got to edit it down and get all the the dead space out of it anyway. But we'll have that for you guys next week. We're able to sit down and talk to him for about what was it twenty minutes today about Ron? Yeah, something about like something like that. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, so we'll be able to do that. And uh, we'll have plenty more next week. So uh, we're back to Wednesday next week. I had a thing come up tomorrow night. So Wednesday, back to 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Max will be on time this time. So we'll go ahead and talk to you uh, next week. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night. Thanks, guys. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.